All right, we're continuing our series called The Way. And for those of you guys who don't know what that is, we started it last week and we started to center really our year and our, uh, our aim, our direction around those three words, those words encounter, formation, and mission. You saw the banners out there in the lobby and we're going to get into that here in just a little bit. But um, one of the reasons why is because we started wrestling with this uh, over the last year or two. Like we are called as a church, all churches are, all people who follow Jesus are called to make disciples. So then we started asking, asking the question, well, what is a disciple? Because a lot of times we think of a disciple as like a discipleship group or just a, a program you're a part of or a certain book that you read or a study that you have. But really, if you look at the word disciple and the way Jesus used it, disciple is just a committed follower. It's someone who is a, an active follower in such a way that as you follow Jesus, you start to look more and more like him every single day. So that what he does, you start to do. His values become your values so that you start to look like him and that you grow into the likeness of him. And it's not just something you check a box. It's not just information that comes your way that now you have intellectual knowledge of. But all of a sudden you start to embody and incarnate, I guess you could say, the way Jesus is in your own life. And so many of us, we end up just having the title Christian on our life instead of an active discipleship or disciple, an ongoing follower of Jesus is a part of our life. And Christian just becomes a, an adjective to us instead of discipleship becoming this verb, this activity that we live out. And so I started looking around and saying, man, how many people do I know are radically different five years ago than they are today. Like they've grown into the likeness of God in some area that you could say, man, they are totally different. They look a whole lot more like Jesus in this area of their life. And can I tell you, it's a struggle. Like I'm looking at my own life many times, and I'm like, it's hard to find areas sometimes. And I'm thinking, that is not what the Bible tells us and not what Jesus tells us is possible, that, there is, that there's a growth that can happen in God, a conforming into the likeness of his image that happens post-salvation as much as of a change that happens at salvation. Because we are called not just to get saved and that's it, but we're called to get saved. That's the starting point, not the finish line, right? Can somebody say amen to that? And so our expectation and our hope is that I ought to continually be growing into the likeness of God. As I talked about last week with, with the chairs, the different chairs, and we had the baby chair and the adult chair. I ought to be moving closer to looking like Jesus every day of my life, right? And so Dallas Willard asked the question. He said, every church needs to answer this question. Number one, what is our discipleship strategy? Because if we're supposed to make disciples, then we ought to have a plan to do so. And then number two, which I think is the most important one, is is it working? Because a lot of churches would say they have a discipleship strategy or program, but if we define discipleship as people who are looking more like Jesus, is it working? And so around that, God gave me these three words that I believe are a part of the process of discipleship. And they're really what we're going to be anchoring in, and they are encounter, formation, and mission. We need all three of these if we are going to be a part of that process, I believe. And so today we're talking about the word encounter. And how many of you guys love hearing about stories of like revival and these massive encounters with God or reading about them in Scripture? I love to, and over the years I've read a lot of them. 
But one of my favorite, and I've told it before, but it's been a long time since I've told this story, but how many of you guys have ever heard of a guy named Charles Finney? Anybody? Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a guy in the 1800s who was a part of a major revival. And, I, and again, I love hearing about the revivals throughout the ages. I mean, the book of Acts is a revival, essentially. And it, there's been these marker moments throughout history, you know, you hear about the Jesus Revolution, that movie that just came out. That was one of those great moves of God, the Great Awakening 1, Great Awakening 2. You know, you've got John Wesley, George Whitfield. You could just go down the list of all these people. But Charles Finney was a guy who he was really resistant to receiving Jesus because of his pride. And finally, I mean, he's got this famous story where he finally just went out into the woods. He was too, uh, too nervous about what other people would think about him. And so we went off into the woods because he's like, okay, I'm going to surrender my heart to Jesus out in the woods where no one can see me. <laughs> he has this major encounter with God. Well, the, the anointing and the power of God was just all over his life. And I think over the course of his ministry, something like a half million people came to Jesus through his ministry. And they did some sort of study on it. I, you can fact check me on this, but so, somebody did a study one time, and I don't know how they did this, but they said something like 80% of the people who came to faith in his ministry actually stuck with it. That's a pretty remarkable number. Billy Graham's was something like 2%. And so that's, a, that's not a knock on Billy Graham. It's just showing that there's something that was so powerful that was happening under Charles Finney. This, this power of God was just all over him. And one of my favorite stories is that he was walking into... He was just touring a factory. He's not, he's not doing a service or doing anything like that, but he was touring his brother-in-law's factory somewhere in New York, Utica, Utica, New York, I believe. And he walks in, and he had been in town, and he had been having revival meetings and stuff, and some people were for it, and some people were all skeptical about it. And so he walks into this factory just taking a tour. And there happened to be a young lady who was working there who was on the other side, that just was not for what was happening. And she started making fun of him to her friends, like, oh, here comes the crazy guy or whatever, the God guy. And, and he just doesn't say anything. He just looks at her, and there was such an anointing and a power and a presence of God that was just, that he just walked in, that he didn't say anything. And all of a sudden, she just became overwhelmed with the presence of God. She began to, she began to weep. She began to cry. She began to come under the conviction and the weight of her sin in such a powerful way. The Holy Spirit was moving on her that she just, she just began to weep, and her friends began to weep as well. Pretty soon in this factory, with some people say there was almost 3,000 people in this factory, that it just began to spread. And people began to just experience the presence of God and come under the weight of the presence of God and began to get convicted of their sin, and God was moving. And, and it's said that people on the, the, another floor of the factory who had no idea that Charles Finney was even there or no idea what was even happening, they began to spontaneously come under the conviction of the presence of God and they began to weep and a revival swept through that. And, up, and, and some people say, now there's a little, some people contest this, but some people say that all of the people in the factory got saved that day. No matter how you slice it, God was at, more, at work. How many of you guys believe that was a pretty powerful encounter with God? You guys like to see some stuff like that happen today, right? See, so when we talk about encounter formation and mission, Sometimes in churches like ours, like I said today, like we seek encounter with God, and that's different for everybody. Some people, it's just like, I just want to go to church and have a good time. And we, we love mission, 
But many times we skip formation in the process and we end up just being shallow and short-lived or we end up surface living lives. But some of us, and this is who I'm talking to today, some of us would rather skip encounter. Like I just, I just like that formation thing and I just like going on mission and serving God, but the encounter, it's just a little bit weird. Why do we need those things? Why can't we just be students of the word of God and just go out and serve people and that be enough? Why do we need encounter? And let me tell you why we need encounter. We need encounters because encounters move us from intellectual knowledge of to direct contact with the living God who created all the universe. See, it's not just enough to have academic knowledge of. It's not just enough to just study more. Those things are good. Those things are valid. Those things are valuable. It's not just enough to listen to another podcast. It's not just enough to listen to, a, to read another book. It's not even just enough just to come to church and to, to be in a good Bible study or even to be in a small group. All those things are part of formation. All those things are necessary. But it's not enough to just know about God. There's something entirely different when you have encounters and some direct contact with the living God that marks you in some way, that somehow alters your, your course, that, that somehow it, it marks you in some way. And, and sometimes these things are even unexplainable. You, can't, you don't even have words for them. I, what I'm saying is you need to have encounters with God from time to time that you don't have words for. You need to have encounters with God sometimes that you can't explain to somebody else. I, I would say you need to have encounters with God that, that you don't have to know all the answers to. You just know God was there. As a teenager, I had encounters with God. I, many of times at youth camp or just even in my, my own makeshift prayer closet that I made as a teenager, I would get in there and I would have encounters with God that, that just marked me. They... And I can't even explain all of them, but I can tell you this, that because I had an encounter with God as a teenager, it set me on a course so that I would have a hard time trying to deny that a God existed. I had a hard time. Like, I don't know what to do with that experience. It's hard for me to walk away from God when I had encounters like that. How many of you guys have had encounters with God like that? See, that's, that's, that's why it's so important for us to have encounters with God. And it may be dramatic like Charles Finney. I mean, look at this in the, in the Psalms. David writes about this in Psalm chapter 29. It says, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. That's pretty dramatic, right? That's a pretty big encounter. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes deer give birth. Come on, somebody. I don't even know what that's about, but that's pretty dramatic, right? And, and strips the forest bare and in his temple all cry holy, or glory. That's a dramatic encounter with God. But sometimes it's more subtle. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but you know, many of you guys know the story of Elijah who had an encounter with God. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, it says, And God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains, broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. And you think, okay, this is, this is the encounter. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, and there's where the voice of God and the encounter of God was found. You see, it can be a dramatic thing, it can be a more subtle thing, but what I can tell you about encounters with God is it will alter you when you come in direct contact with the God of the universe. These are moments where we say one moment in the presence of God can change anything and everything. Because I believe one moment in the presence of God can do something that you could never do in a thousand years in your own strength. See, you need encounters with God. Because some of us are hitting walls we can't break through. It's because we're trying to break through them. Sometimes you need an encounter with God that, that changes the game, that rewrites the rules, that changes the score. And I know, like, some of us who, we may be in this room, we're like, I've never had an encounter with, that, with God like that. I mean, certainly not like Charles Finney or the people I read about in the Bible or I hear Pastor Sean talking about this, this you know, encounter with God on, in Montana and he writes a song about it and we sing it all the time and all that type of thing. But I don't have any of those. It, what I'm saying is it's easy to get discouraged when you hear about other people who have these encounters with God. But I want you to understand something about those type of encounters they're not everyday encounters. They're not even every week encounters many times. It's not like Pastor Aaron and I are sitting up here just like with a light from heaven, just sitting here all day, every week, you know. It, the, these things don't always happen all the time. And even, in fact, in the Bible, when you hear about these people in the Bible, I mean, we have all these stories of Abraham and Moses and, and, and you know, all these stories of people, Elijah, and we, we read in a matter of minutes, like this story after story, this amazement after amazement. But what we've read, most likely, is the totality of all of the encounters that they had that were like that. And that's over the course of their lifetime. And so it's not like these things necessarily happen to you every single day. What I'm saying is, you ought to have some. And even if they're just like, I was reading my Bible, and all of a sudden, the it's just like it became illuminated to me, but it just changed something. Like I'm marked by that moment. You got to have some of those. And so what I, what I want to do today is I believe that there are some things that we can do to increase our chances of having God encounters. How many of you guys would like to have more God encounters? If there are some things we could do to increase our chances Man, that would be a game changer, wouldn't it? And so what I want to do is I want to look at three stories of God encounters in Scripture that I believe can position us for more God encounters in our own life. And so I want to, I want to help us. Uh, and this first one is going to be, for most of us, going to be easy to, to figure out what it is. But I'm just going to show you just 20 seconds just for fun, just to see if it gets your mind going of what encounter this is. Most of you guys will get it right off. Others of you guys, I'll tell the story after. Let's just watch. 20 seconds to watch. How many of you guys caught that one? What's the guy's name? Anybody tell me? Jacob. Jacob that's right. Jacob, he uh, is a guy that's really on the run because he's got some, uh, you know, history that he's running from, you know, family problems, you could say. You read the story. And he's really not, you know, he's really not in a good place. And he's going off and he's trying to run from his past. And, and he has this dream. 
And God begins to reiterate the promises that he made to his family, his, his grandfather Abraham, his father Isaac, and he begins to, to say, no, there's a plan for your life. So Jacob lays down and he has this dream, and he, in this dream he has this major encounter with God that literally alters his trajectory. We see part of it here in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. God says, behold, I'm with you. And will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said this. I love this. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. See, something happened to Jacob. Jacob all of a sudden began to be aware that the potential for God encounters was all around him. He became aware of the presence of God all around him. So I would say this, if we want to increase our chances, number one, it's this, cultivate more awareness of God activity and the supernatural. When was the last time you prayed for something supernatural to happen? And I don't mean just going through the motions of when you hear about somebody who's sick, I'm going to pray a nice little prayer over them, but it didn't really move me or I didn't really believe it was going to. I'm talking about when you begin to pray for God type of activities. When was the last time that you really began to pray? When was the last time you prayed for a real miracle to happen? Again, not just going through the religious motions and even the, as we would say, charismatic world that we're in. Sometimes we get in this world where, where we just get into a pattern where we just pray for people, but we're really not in it. We're really just saying stuff just because it's become a ritual to us. Do you realize that things that, that you can have a form of godliness, but not the power with it? Even in our circles, we can just go through the motions we have to cultivate more awareness of God activity and the supernatural. So what do you do? You pray for supernatural activity of God. Read about supernatural activity of God. Read about some of the encounters that have happened in Scripture. Read about these people, these great revivals in the past. Don't live there, but read about it so that you stir up your expectation that God still does that kind of thing. Pray for the supernatural. Read about the supernatural. Instead of getting cynical, anytime we hear something that's a little bit different and somebody has a story that God kind of did something that we think is outside of our box, instead of getting cynical about that, what if we started to hang around more people who had stories like that? What if we gave God the benefit of the doubt? And I'm not saying we don't test things. I'm not saying we don't use discernment. But what I'm saying is what if we just gave God the benefit of the doubt that he's beyond what we are and that he can do what, beyond what we can think he can do? What if we just, instead of being cynical, we got around people who have stories to share? What if we began to be more hungry for God encounters, for the things of God? What if we started to be quick to give God credit for things? How many times does somebody come to us and maybe they're, they're sick or something like that and they need a miracle in some way and we pray for them and they get better and then we start to think, Maybe they were going to get better anyway. Maybe, the, maybe it was the medicine. Maybe it was the doctors. Maybe, and I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm saying God uses all of that, and we are thankful for all of that. But what I'm saying is, if you pray and you ask God to do something, 
and what you prayed for happened, why not give God the credit for that? Why not just say, look what God did? See, that's cultivating an awareness of the presence of God and the power of God in our life. When was the last time you thought that God was bigger than you, not just better than you? Because we sing songs like holy and God is holy. He's other. He's better. We talk about being conformed to the image of Christ. And yes, we are being, that's formation. We'll hit that next week. But I'm talking about for real. When was the last time? Because I think sometimes what happens is we get stuck in this mindset of I just need to become a better person and more holy like God. That's a wonderful thing. But in reality, we really don't think God is actually bigger than us. What I mean by that is able to do more than we can do on our own outside of our natural, we've somehow re- we've lost this idea that God is actually bigger than us and he could actually do more than us and he actually could do something that might, might surprise us. When's the last time you thought that God was actually bigger than you, not just better than you, more powerful than you, not just more loving? So what I'm saying is this, is it possible that we need to repent? Not for rejecting God, but for reducing God. Because it's easy to reduce God. So we cultivate this. We cultivate an awareness of God. We cultivate an awareness of God activity. We cultivate, we, we, we stop being skeptical about when we see things that look like the Bible and we start, what if we started giving the benefit of the doubt? And we cultivated what God, what God might be doing around us. We begin to look for it. Because God begins to be found in unlikely places and unlikely likely ways. See, Jacob, he cultivated this awareness. He said, man, God's, God's all around me. You guys remember what happened later? He ends up getting in a wrestling match with the angel of the Lord. You can read about this later on. And the angel of the Lord says, it's a long story, so if you don't know what it's about, go check it out. The angel of the Lord says, uh, let me go. And, and Jacob says, I'm not going to. He cultivated such an awareness of God that he was not going to let go when he saw a God encounter. He's not letting go. All right, the next encounter, how many of you guys would like to watch a cartoon in church? Anybody like to watch cartoon in church. All right. My kids used to watch this movie all the time. It's going to be really obvious what this one is, but uh, let's just take a snapshot from, from this movie. Let's watch. Who are you? I am that I am. I don't understand. I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their cry. Stop it! Leave that man alone! So I have come down to deliver them out of slavery and bring them to a good land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And so unto Pharaoh I shall send you. Me? 
Who am I to lead these people? They'll never believe me. They won't even listen. I shall teach you what to say. Let my people go! But I was their enemy. I was the prince of Egypt, the son of the man who slaughtered their children. You've, you've chosen the wrong messenger. How, how can I even speak to these people? Who made man's mouth? Who made the deaf, the mute, the seeing, or the blind? Did not I? Now go! I'm sure it looked exactly like that. That's pretty close, but who's that? Moses, right? Burning bush. All right, where's that at? Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked. Behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Now, that is key in this whole story. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, then God called him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Every indication in this story, right there, it's just as plain, plain as you can see it. God was in the bush in the fire, in the encounter, in the ready, waiting, but God would not engage Moses until he turned aside. Number two is this. Put yourself in a position for more God encounters. We cultivate an awareness of God activity in the supernatural, but now we need to do something. We need to be a little more like Moses and start putting ourselves in a position for more God encounters. You know, we have something many of you guys are familiar with called TNT. It's like, it's like a night designed for a God encounter. That's what it is. It's just set aside for that purpose. We're actually changing the name of it to line up with our theme this year. We're changing the name to Encounter Nights. And we actually have one coming up February 1st. So there's a little plug for you if you want to be a part of that. What I'm saying is, if you put yourself in a position for more God encounters, chances are you're going to have more of them. If you put yourself in a posture and a place and a position, you're probably going to encounter God more. That's why I'm so big and I encourage you to get your teenagers to youth camp because youth camp is one of those God encounter type moments. 
I know I had many of them as a teenager because it was a set-aside time. I put myself in a position, and chances are when you set aside time and you put yourself in a position, you're going to have more chances for a God encounter. I know it in my own life. I know it in my kids' life. I've seen it in many other people's lives that whenever you put yourself in a God encounter, in a moment for that, you tend to have them more often. Show up to church ready to worship. Why show up to church just hoping something happens to you or maybe just I showed up, I'm checking the box. Show up worshiping. Show up lifting up your hands. Put yourself in a posture to worship God because chances are when you do that, you're going to encounter God more often. How do you know if this isn't the moment when God speaks to you? How do you know if this isn't the moment that God confirms something in your heart, that he calls something in you? Parents, how do you know if this isn't the moment that you're lifting up your hands, fully engaged in worship, and your young person, the teenager that you've been raising in your house, looks up and sees you worshiping and does something in their heart that says, my parents have something, I want to have that too. How do you know if this is not the moment? You put yourself in a God encounter moment, opportunity, they tend to happen. What I'm saying is, sometimes whatever your normal is, you got to get outside of it. You got to set aside special times. You got to get in a different place. Maybe sometimes run at a different pace. And then all of a sudden, God can speak to you in a different way. I remember on my first sabbatical, I talk about this a lot because there was a lot of God encounters, but my first sabbatical, I was going to Montana and I was going to be by myself for eight or nine days. And I'd it's really weird, but I'd never been by myself that long. I mean, like limited human contact and away from my family, away from people. And as I was preparing for that trip, I had this, what I call now, like a fear of future loneliness. I could feel myself being lonely in the future. Have you ever had that happen before? I had this, I mean, it was like almost like tangible. And so I was just highly aware of that, and I tried to fight that off, and I tried to do things to combat it, but it was just there. And so one of the days in particular, I was in Montana. I wanted to go on a, an extreme hike by myself, and the, I talked to the uh, local there, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is a great place, but you got to drive way out into the wilderness. And so I drove way out into 15 miles on this dirt road, no signs, nothing, out literally into the wilderness, all by myself. I go up to this trailhead. There's very little signage. There's no one there. I'm as far away as far away can be. I hike out on this trail, and I had this thought as I'm out there in the middle, like my cell phone doesn't work, like nothing. Like if I sprain an ankle, that's it. It's like meet Jesus pretty quick, right, type moment. And I remember being out there, and all of a sudden I was reminded of that fear of future loneliness. And I thought, if I'm ever gonna feel it, now's the time. Because I'm as far away as far away can be. And I can't tell you how to, I can't describe this, but I felt the presence and the nearness and the closeness of God in that moment more than I probably ever have in my life. As far away as I've been from any person on the planet, and yet I felt as close and as present with somebody as I've ever felt. You see, sometimes you got to get outside of your normal in order to experience something you couldn't experience in your everyday. Put yourself in more opportunity. Yes, formation, we'll talk about formation next week. Formation is showing up every day, every week, week in and week out, whether you feel it or not. It's not necessarily all special times, but you're setting aside time and, be, and you're forming your, by, by showing up consistently, you're being formed into the faithful uh, person, a, follow, a follower of Jesus. You're being formed to the love of God. You're showing up, all that stuff 
Yes, but there are special times, special set-aside times, altar moments. Because we tend to get into habits. We tend to love and drift towards the familiar. How many of you guys drift towards the familiar, right? The safety and the familiar. Let me ask it this way. How many of you guys are sitting in a seat right now that you tend to sit in most every single time you show up at Journey Church? Let me just see your hand. Or you're in the general vicinity of where you sit, right? Maybe not the exact seat. Because we are creatures of habit, aren't we? And so this is going to be really annoying. But what we're getting ready to do, I'm going to ask you to humor me on this, okay? Grab all of your stuff. I really wish it was more packed out and wasn't so cold today because I imagine this being a lot better. But grab all of your stuff. And just as a little exercise, as annoying as this is, find a seat in this auditorium that's significantly different from what your normal is. Just right now, and we will finish up the message. Yeah, just take a moment right now and let's do it. Thank you guys for doing this. This is awesome. Some of you guys, I'm going to speed up here at the last because some of you guys are like, I can't even be here right now. This is not even Journey Church to me anymore, which is, is part of the deal. How many of you guys, that was a little bit annoying, right? Wasn't too bad. It was, it was uncomfortable. But that's sometimes what it looks like to reposition ourselves for an encounter with God. Sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes we're just, we, we have to intentionally, sometimes we need help to do it. Sometimes we need a nudge from somebody. And it, but it positions us because now every single one of you are seeing from a different angle than you normally see. And sometimes we have to do that spiritually. We have to put ourselves in a position to see something we normally wouldn't see. Some of you guys are seeing, even like behind me, you're seeing different pieces of equipment that you normally do not see. And you're seeing the screen from a different angle. And you're, seeing, you're sitting by different people, right? It may feel colder or warmer, depending on whether you were sitting under a vent or not, right? Some of you guys pick that place because it's the warm spot in the auditorium. I get it. But changing our position rearranges our perspective. So cultivate an awareness of God activity in the supernatural. Put yourself in a position for more God encounters. Let's, let's wrap this up. And this one I don't have a video for or anything like that, but this is a, a, famous, uh, it's a famous God encounter in Matthew chapter 17. It says, After six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led, him up, led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? Well, his face, it shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared with them and to them Moses and Elijah just show up in this moment. That was a pretty crazy moment. 
And this is one of the most hilarious things in the Bible to me. Because just imagine this, this major God encounter. Jesus is like shining like the sun. Moses and Elijah pop out of nowhere, and they're having a conversation with him. And then Peter just starts talking. He's like, uh, uh, Lord, I think it's a good thing here if we were just to make three tents, uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And as Peter was still speaking, what happens? God interrupts him, you know, just awkward moment. He's like, let's make some tents here, Jesus. This would be great. I, I think I got it figured. And God says, no, uh, a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. I just think it's hilarious. Like when you actually play that out in your mind, what was Peter doing? He assumed he knew what was happening. He had an assumption that if Jesus starts shining like the sun and Moses and Elijah show up, you build tents. Like that's what his assumption is, that you build these, these monuments to that. Here's the third thing. Don't assume you know all that God is up to. If you want to have more encounters with God, we can't just assume that we got it all figured out. We can't assume that this is the way God acts all the time, 100% of the time. This is the only way it works for me. This is the only way it works in my life. This is the only way it works in the United States. This is the only way it works in my, you know, whatever. Have you guys ever find yourself doing what your parents did, like, and you didn't want to? Anybody ever find yourself, you just accidentally, like, you're just like, whoa, I'm doing that now, right? It's probably different for every single person. For me, my dad is like, he's, he's a real neat, neat guy, clean freak type guy, and you wouldn't think so out of his hippie background, but he's like, he's like, I mean, super organized and, and all this stuff. And if left to myself, I found that I drift into that. I'll find myself doing those things and just organizing things. And I'm like, it's just like my dad. Like, I didn't even try, but I'm just doing it, right? Or how many of us, we do the opposite of our family growing up because we didn't like what we saw. And so now we're just doing the opposite of it. It's like, I'm never going to do that. See, what happens is all of us are affected by our family culture that we grew up in, whether we realize it or not. And so we either start to do it that way because we think that's the way it ought to be done, or we automatically do the opposite and say that's the way it shouldn't be done, and so we reject it altogether. What I want you to understand is the same thing can happen to us with our spiritual family of origin. How you grew up spiritually, wherever that was, however that was, whatever that looked like, you can tend to find yourself doing those things thinking that's the way God works. And that that's the, way, the only way God works. And we end up finding ourselves putting God in a box of our spiritual family of origin. Or what happens is we didn't like our spiritual family of origin. And so we reject it and we end up saying, never again. That will never happen to me. What I'm saying is that maybe, just maybe, God has a bigger box than what we think. Because either one of those things, whether we embrace it fully and say this is the only way, or we reject it wholly and we say this is not the way, either one of those things is simply trying to control God based on our past rather than uh, letting God be whoever and whatever he wants to be right now in our presence. So don't put God in a box. Do you know one of the biggest limitations, one of the biggest limitations to a God encounters is spiritual pride. It's when we think we have God figured out. It's when we think God only acts this way. 
When we think that God does it the way we think all the time, spiritual pride. I don't have the time to tell this story, but for those of you guys who know the story, there's a guy in the Old Testament named Naaman. He had leprosy. He went to a prophet. The prophet said, go down into this river and dip seven times. If you dip seven times, you'll be made whole. And this guy, he almost missed his miracle. He almost missed his miracle because he started looking at the process and he's like, that river is filthy. Couldn't we find a better river than this? Because he thought that God would do something in a different way. He thought, in fact, the scripture says that he thought that he'd just be prayed for and it'd be done. But I always imagine, I'm like, what if Naaman dipped six times and he, was just, and he just stopped and he, he's like, why is, why is seven? Why, why can't God just be a six dipper? Like, why can't we, why do we have to have seven? And what if he just stopped there? What I'm saying is some of us, we think God is just a, you know, he's a different, he's a clean river God. We think that God is just a six dipper God. And what what I'm suggesting today is what if you are just one dip away? But because we are so focused on how God works in our past that we don't give him space to work in our future. What I'm saying is that God is bigger than our box. And many times, sadly, it's more, it's more preferable for us to have a predictable God than a God who could surprise us. Let me say that again. For so many of us, can we just self-analyze for a second? So many of us, it's more preferable if we can have a predictable God than a God who could surprise us. Because many times when God does surprise us, it's not what we predicted and we don't like being wrong. We would rather know. And so let me just suggest a good prayer. You wanna know a good prayer that we could have? If you're struggling with this, here's a good prayer. God, would you be unpredictable again? God, I release my requirements and I receive the surprises. I release my requirements and I receive the surprises. Whatever you want to do, however you want to show up, whether you want to show up and you want to show up in just a thunder or you want to show up in a whisper, whether you want to show up in a cloud of angels or through a voice of a friend, I don't care. I just want to, I release my requirements and I receive the surprises. I just want to encounter you again because God is bigger than our box. How many God encounters do you think you'd have if you were looking for it, if you were positioned for it, and you were completely open to it? How many of them do we miss because we're not looking for it? <laughs> we're, we're, and we're opposed to it many times. We're not open to it at all. It was when Moses turned aside did he see. It was when Peter stopped assuming that all of a sudden that, that the fullness of what God wanted to do could actually happen. And so I'm going to wrap up, have the worship team go ahead and come back up. But this is just simply an exercise of saying, of really honestly saying, God, what are you doing and how can I be a part of it? That's all it is. But it's like genuinely saying, God, what are you doing and how can I be a part of it? And I want you to know whether you've had these type of God encounters or not, they are important. But you, and again, it can be dramatic or it can be subtle. I'm not saying it has to look a certain way. I'm not going to put God in that box. But what I'm saying is that every single one of us can expect God encounters. Do you know why we can expect God encounters? It's because he is, more now, he is more near now than he's ever been. We read the stories in the Old Testament. He did dramatic things. But you realize you have access in a way that even they didn't have? 
Let me read this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I understand this is talking about salvation, but this is just simply painting a picture of how we have brought even, we've been brought closer than ever before. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's no longer Jews or Gentiles in that sense, but everybody now has access is what it's saying. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. And then he might reconcile us both to God in one body. How did he do it? Through the cross. When he died on the cross, he took our place, he took our sin, he went into the grave, he rose from the dead, the curtain was torn in two so that we are no longer separated from God. So that we have, what does it say? Look, if we keep on reading, it says, and he came and preached peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have what? Access. Access to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and with the saints and members of the household of God. What I want you to know is that God is more near than you know, and that God, that these type of encounters where God marks you, where God pulls back the curtain for a moment, where God reveals something to you in a powerful way is more possible than it's ever been. And we're not chasing encounters. What we're doing is we just want to be near God. Don't chase some experience. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is we've got to get out of the academic pursuit of God and get into the relational pursuit. And what happens when you really open yourself up to say, God, I want to stand before you. God, I want to be in your presence. It's going to surprise you. It is not going to always be neat and clean. Many times it's going to be messy. Many times you won't even have words for it at times. But these are the type of things I believe is one of the most powerful ingredients to walking as a disciple. When you when you have moments that, listen, there are going to be times, I went through a two-year drought where I never felt the presence of God. I never heard his voice. I never felt the presence of God in worship like that. I went through two, two years of that. And God deepened my faith in such a rich way in that. But I've also been in moments that have marked me, that helped sustain me through those moments. Where I knew, even if I never encounter God again while I'm on this planet, I know that I have encountered and that's going to stay with me forever. So would you stand up with me? And let's just invite the presence of God and just say, God, I am more hungry for you than I ever have been. And listen, if you're not, here's also a good prayer to pray. God, I want to be. I want to be more hungry for you. That's a good prayer to pray. God, I want to want. I want to want you more. I want to know you more. I want to 
come in direct contact with the living God of the universe. I don't want to just read about you. I don't want to just learn about you. I don't want to just go through the motions and the rituals about you. But God, I want to walk with you. I want to be in your presence. I want to encounter you in ways that are unexplainable at times. God, I want to be near you. I don't want to figure you all out so that I can reduce you down to my box. But God, I want to open up the box and say, God, be who you want to be again. Be who you want to be in my life. Do what you want to do in my life. I take off the requirements and I receive the surprises. Say, come Holy Spirit, come Lord Jesus. Come do what you want to do in us. Place a hunger on the inside of us again that's deeper than ever before in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship him one more time.